Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination 1895. Chen Chengbo was a great Taiwanese artist whose life was framed by two seismic shifts in Taiwan's history. He was born to the jarring close of one era and died amidst the upheaval that ushered in another. But in the 52 years of his short life, Chen Chengbo went far. He made it to the top of the artistic pecking order, further than almost any Taiwanese artist had gotten before. He painted works that captured a changing Taiwan and put his beloved hometown on the artistic map. Today, his works continue to invite questions from viewers, among them what it means to be a Taiwanese artist. Here to tell us more about the life and work of Chen Chengbo is Lin Yuchun, a former curator at the Taipei Fine Arts Museum. She was also one of the first researchers to study Chen's art. Chen Chengbo was a child of Taiwan's south. He was born in 1895 in Jiayi, one of southern Taiwan's larger towns. Jiayi was a town that would leave a lifelong impression on him, a place he would love and make the focus of many paintings. He wouldn't have remembered the events of 1895. At the time, he was only a few months old. Imperial China had lost a war against Japan. With the signing of a peace treaty that year, Imperial China was forced to hand over Taiwan to Japanese colonial rule. This sudden change was not accepted quietly in Taiwan, where in some areas, imperial rule stretched back around two centuries. Chen would have grown up hearing news of occasional revolts and the brutal crackdowns that followed. He would have also seen the town of Jiayi itself change under Japanese rule, as Western-minded Japanese planners gave Taiwan's towns and cities a makeover. Chen's family had a smattering of learning about it. Under the old order, his father had passed the local level of the imperial examinations. Chen's own formal education would take place under the new Western-style system set up by the Japanese. Eventually, this education would take him all the way up north to Taipei. There, he entered one of Taiwan's best schools, run by the colonial government. After his graduation, he went back south to become a teacher. But after many years, he found himself ready for a change. He'd had an interest in art, and after many years of teaching, he was fed up and looking to create. And so, in 1924, he gave up his position and left for Tokyo. There, he'd been accepted as a student at Tokyo University of the Arts. In Japan, he learned calligraphy and Japanese painting but also Western oil painting, and above all, the art of sketching. Chen was in an unusual position. At around 30, he was far older than his classmates, a late bloomer. Then there was the matter of his status. He was, after all, a colonial subject. 
想多少会有，但是如果你看过一些那时候的。I asked Ms. Lin if his colonial status would have led to discrimination during his Tokyo years. She says she supposes it would have to a certain degree, but Japan's colonial subjects, while rare in the Japanese art scene, were not explicitly kept out. 画画 Instead, she says, few Taiwanese of talent had decided to devote themselves to art. In the world of Chun's parents and grandparents, painting was considered lowly, something done by simple craftsmen. Under the old order, talented young people had been encouraged to do well in the imperial exams, their ticket to a higher status. In this new Japanese world, without scholar officials, they were now encouraged to become doctors or lawyers. Chen Chengbo's success was a big part of what changed all of that. Because even if colonial subjects weren't blocked from Japan's art world, it was still unusual for a colonial artist to really make it. But in 1926, that's exactly what Chen Chengbo did. 那个是台湾人的油画第一次入选，这个一九二六年。One of Chen Chengbo's paintings was selected to appear at that year's Japanese Empire Art Exhibition. This was as good as it got. The place where the creme de la creme showed off their stuff. Chen was only the second artist from Taiwan to have reached this level of recognition, and he was the first to paint. The only artist before him had been a sculptor. Chen's success drew media attention. A reporter came to his studio, and he was photographed and interviewed. After reports of all this made their way back to Taiwan, people began to slowly change their minds about painting and painters. They'd even come to gain a sense of respectability. What theme had Chen chosen for his masterpiece? What he knew best. His hometown, Jiayi. The painting called "Outside Jiayi Street One" is now lost, with only black and white images from the time to show what it looked like. It shows what appears to be a road under construction. The part in the foreground is still muddy and incomplete, with ditches to the sides that are crossed with wooden planks. People walk on towards town. One of them holding what looks like an umbrella. Across the ditch to the left, a man in a conical farmer's hat carries buckets. The finished part of the road starts in the middle, leading away into the background and lined with electrical poles, symbols of a new era. Further back on the left, though, the curved Chinese roof of a temple dedicated to the sea goddess Mazu rises up. The city's landscape is changing under Japanese rule, but it still has its distinctively Taiwanese features. Ms. Lin says the style was considered avant-garde for its time. She also says the painting answers an important question: What was it that made Taiwan special? Outside Jiayi Street would become a series of paintings as Chen continued to paint scenes of hometown life in the years that followed. After completing his studies in Tokyo, and after all the fuss about exhibitions, Chen really wanted to go back to teaching art. Ms. Lin says that unfortunately for him, positions for art teachers in Taiwan remained hard to come by. 
and most of those that were available were occupied by teachers from Japan. It was this that sent Chen in a completely new but important direction. He decided that he would go to China. Though Chinese rule had ended while he was only a few months old, Chen still felt an affinity with the other side of the Taiwan Strait, a feeling many of his contemporaries on Taiwan shared too. Ms. Lin says that he even took to including his ancestral hometown in southeast China on his business card, despite the fact that he hadn't grown up there and despite the fact he was living in Shanghai, a fair distance away. Taiwan wasn't the only place where the world had changed. The old imperial order had fallen in China, too, in 1912. And the China where Chen and his family resettled was the Republic of China. Chen thrived in this new world. He learned Mandarin, now being called China's national language, but a tongue still alien to most people back in Taiwan. And he would go on to repeat in the Chinese art world what he had already done in the art world of Japan. His work was included in China's first-ever national art exhibition. During his Shanghai period, he would master new styles and complete an important section of his life's work. Next week, Ms. Lin will join us again to talk about some of the works that came out of Chen's Shanghai period. She'll also tell us the rest of Chen's story, why he returned to Taiwan, and how he met his tragic end. Lastly, we'll hear about how his works were hidden away and how Ms. Lin herself helped to bring Chen's reputation back to life. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me then for another journey through